1: feels like summer where i am today i am i'm very pleased i just got i was uh on uh, not vacation because i was working during it but i was out of town hanging out on a beach for a few days now I'm back home it's like 90 plus degrees in denver colorado it's it, it feels like summer which it should yeah. because you know it's summer is like half over <laughs> even though it only started last week officially. i know dude. it still feels like it's half gone
2: is, is this the first official podcast of the summer? Yeah. <laughs> Technically. Yeah,
1: I believe it is because yeah. uh, Friday, summer kicked off uh, officially. On your
2: birthday. It On was. Birthday.
1: It was. I turned 24. And, um, yeah, and now we're it's our first summer podcast. We've been a, a spring podcast for so long. And, uh, well, you know, happens the same way every year. So I don't know why I'm explaining this as though it's something new. When the moon is in the sixth quarter th- quadrant, uh and summer comes along hey whatever it's summer short season leagues have started uh we got triple a all-star rosters coming out in a minute uh things are things are crazy we welcome you into this week's episode of the show before the show from milb.com my name is tyler Ron. his name is sam dykstra uh what's going on out there sam how are you
2: i'm good i'm good uh um, can we just
1: explain something that happened to you last week uh yes we we have a, a buddy uh who you will hear from on this show very soon his name is Josh Jackson. You've heard from him on this show before. Uh, he is the best of all of us. The other day, you were on the Brooklyn Bridge, correct? Or in Bro- I was in Bridge Brooklyn Park. Bridge Park. Okay. Yeah. And uh, explain to the good folks what happened.
2: Yeah, I don't think you even know fully the backstory. Yeah, on this. Yeah, I don't this. know the
1: whole story on this.
2: So I went to, and I hope Josh is okay with telling me telling part of this story anyway. Uh, I live in Brooklyn. I live down near Prospect Park one of the city's great parks um and you know i enjoy walking around there i know it pretty well at this point it's half a block away from me but there's this one hill that i've never gone up before um and it's called lookout hill there was actually a revolutionary war battle fought there uh and for obvious reasons it's a tall hill i think it might be the tallest in brooklyn or it's it's one of the two tallest anyway um so it looks over most of the borough uh decided to finally go up there. I posted a picture of it, whatever, on Instagram because I am a 29-year-old man. And uh, <laughs> Josh commented, because Josh used to live in Brooklyn himself, now lives in Venice, California, uh, that you know, he used to live around there and they used to go to that hill, and you know, it had a, a special feeling to their family. Um, so if I happened to see his wife in the area, just know she's around. She's visiting um, for work, whatever she just she's arriving there tomorrow. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. i'll I'll keep an eye out. You say that. there's eight million people in New York City. There's right, right. lots of people in Brooklyn never think about it, but I've never met Ella. That would be pretty funny. Smash cut to me deciding to go for a nice walk on a you know nice weekend day in Brooklyn Bridge Park. I'm walking again. 29-year-old man with my headphones in, not paying much attention to the world other than it's nice to get out and get some exercise. And I look around me and I swear that was Josh's wife who just walked past me. There's no way, no way. So I I am like, well, I can't just let this go past. I can't like text Josh later. I might've seen her. So I go walking up to this random woman and I'm like excuse me are you Ella and she's like <laughs> yes I'm like I'm Sam Dykstra she's like oh my god oh what we have to we have to tell Josh we you have to tell say, Josh
1: I'm Sam Dykstra of MILB.com and the show before the show podcast
2: no I thought oh, of like god. if I have to I'll say I'm Josh's co-worker or something <laughs> but I had no idea what I was gonna like if I should just say Sam and I said Sam Dykstra and I'm like that's a weird thing to say to somebody who you kind of know through the internet um <laughs> so I and we immediately took a a selfie in front of Brooklyn Bridge Park and like stood there for like 10, 15 minutes just waiting for it to send to Josh so we could each see his reaction. I mean, it was nice to meet her for the first time and get to know her outside of just commenting on uh, pictures and stuff like that. But it, it, it's one of those things where – and I told Josh this. Like the world really, really is a small place. Um, it's crazy that she's visiting from L.A for a weekend and we just happened to cross paths in the biggest city in the country. I mean, the odds on that are astronomical, but it's just crazy. The, the fact that we recognize each other and whatever. So it was just a really, really fun couple minutes there. And, uh, yeah, shout so out to, crazy. to the Jackson Tabaski family.
1: So crazy. You know, what the funniest thing about it is too. I, I, uh actually texted Josh like a week earlier, there was a picture that either he or Ella had posted on, on Instagram or Twitter or somewhere, and I said, you know what? I think that's like the first picture I've actually seen of Ella because he said, you know... He'll take pictures of them, and Ella will be like, "No, nah, don't post that," or he won't want to post it, or whatever it is. And so I don't even know if he told me that. I don't even think I would recognize Ella had I saw, had I seen her like in a park or something. And I've like been to, well, we met in L.A. You and me and Josh last year. Like I've I've been to L.A. I've seen Josh out there a couple times, but I've never met Ella. It's just like the weird. You're just walking around. And you're like, oh, I think that's my my coworkers and friend's wife from 3,000 miles away, <laughs> away. walking yeah. in the same park as me
2: we're, we're literally <laughs> in a harbor that borders the Atlantic Ocean and he lives very it's close sense. to the Pacific Ocean it's yeah. just absolutely nuts yeah. and I mean it, again it wouldn't have happened I w- may have walked past her just thinking like oh that kind of looks like Josh's wife but if I had not posted that picture the day before and he right. wouldn't have said ha- like hey she's to in it. town yeah, yeah I definitely would not have said anything <laughs> Um, I am not that type of person. That being said, I will translate this into something that we've said before. If you see it, at a park or something. Like, feel free to say Say hi. Yeah, only good things will come of that. If it's not us for some reason. I mean, somebody else told me this the other day that I look like 95% of dudes in in Brooklyn. um, So there's a (laughs) decent chance you might go to a Cyclones game and think it's me and it's not. Still, uh, the payoff is much better. Just walk
1: around yelling, Sam Dykstra
2: and see who see people spot. will point you in the right direction.
1: <laughs> uh so with that. Hello and welcome inside this week's episode. Uh we are going to hear from Josh Jackson coming up here in just a little bit. Uh and we are also going to hear from Brent Rooker of the Minnesota Twins organization. We'll talk about that coming up here momentarily. Brent will join us next segment. We'll talk with Josh after and uh with that, let's kick it off. Three strikes for this week's episode of The Show Before the Show with some big news uh, about baseball's now top prospect. Everybody in front of him has graduated, and he is a complete stud on the baseball field. So Wander Franco is the new top overall prospect in baseball, according to MLB Pipeline. He was promoted to that spot as of the most recent uh, rankings. He was the preseason number 13, by the way, uh, in MLB Pipeline's top 100 uh, across baseball. But he is up at the Class A advanced level after tearing through full-season Class A with a slash line for Class A Bowling Green of 318, 390 506. He's 18 years old, and he's now at the Class A advanced level with the Charlotte Stone Crabs. Um, I, I think at the beginning of the season – we kind of expected that Wander Franco was going to be the the top overall prospect going into 2020 more than likely, but he, I think, has accelerated even that timetable.
2: Yeah, there are a couple of really interesting things that have happened to him this season so far. I mean, he is doing everything we kind of expected of him, which is nuts to say of somebody who turned 18 on March 1st. Um, we all thought he would be really good at Class A with the chance to move up to Class A advanced. So as much... As cool as it is that he's moved up to the FSL this quickly, it's also kind of expected, which is too bad for him. This is a really celebratory moment in his career to move up like this. This is the first time he's ever received an in-season promotion. You know, He, he skipped straight to rookie advanced Princeton last year, um, didn't get any time at the complexes, whether it's the DSL or the GCL, went straight to the Appy League. Now, Did well enough at the Midwest League to move up to the Florida State League. Um, What does that mean for him the rest of the season? We'll have to see. But I think they're pretty comfortable letting him finish out the year there. But interesting things that I want to point out real quick. Uh, At Princeton last year, he got 273 plate appearances. At Bowling Green this year, he got 272. So he basically has the exact same sample at rookie advance as he does at Class A. Um, That in mind, his slash line was 318, 390, 506, which I consider a really good slash line to be 345. Um, So going across the board, that's almost exactly where he was um, in terms of slash line. Again, doing this as an 18-year-old switch hitter. And a shortstop is really, really good. Um, But his WRC Plus at Princeton, when we all really got caught on to him and thought, hey, this 17-year-old shortstop is pretty good with the bat, was 159. It was 154 in the Midwest League. So even though he jumped, again, skipped a level, skipped right over Class A short season, moved to full season ball, played in April where it's pretty cold across the Midwest League uh, and really heated up by the end. Still did about as well as he did in the Appy League last year when he was still considered pretty young. Uh, He's played two games for Charlotte so far. By the time you're hearing this, he's probably played a third. Um, But he's still doing the same old things. He's going five for seven in his first two games. He's got multiple hits in his first and second game uh, with Charlotte. This guy makes a ton of contact when he swings. He's swinging to make contact. This is not just somebody who's you know the modern game the way things are going it's maxing out your swings and you know trying to make the most power when you do and he obviously can do that he can hit for more pop than somebody you would expect coming out of a 5 foot 10 frame who's 18 who's 18 <laughs> um, but he struck out in only 7.4% of his plate appearances in the Midwest League he swung and missed 4.5% of the pitches he saw which was third lowest among Midwest League uh Qualifiers. So, you know, some of the old, or one of the other two who were lower than him was Xavier Edwards, who has elite contact skills coming out of last year's draft. Um, so he he marries so many different offensive concepts, makes a ton of contact, makes good contact, makes you know he had six homers in 62 games. Uh, he he's capable of driving it outside the park uh he hits it to all fields really well he's probably going to stick at shortstop i mean there might come the time when he'll have to move off it because of things outside of his control fielding is probably his worst tool and that's saying something because it's average um his arm is above average his run tool is on the plus side uh he just marries so many different things He, he walks more than he strikes out um You know, we were talking about Vlad Jr. in terms of that was one of the coolest things he did is that he can hit for average, he can hit for power. He has incredible plate discipline. Franco's doing the exact same stuff. Um, He has a few other tools that Vlad didn't. Now, his hit tool is not quite as good as Vlad's. That's why Vlad was the number one prospect coming into the year. And like Tyler said, Franco was number 13. Franco just didn't have a chance to prove himself. Now he's doing that at full season levels. um, Obviously taking well to the Florida State League very small sample there so far, and that is a pitcher's league. So if his numbers are down a little bit by the end of the season, don't panic. Uh, and again, he's he'll be playing there at a time when he's basically a high school senior right now. Um, he would be going to college next year if he was American. And he's already at high A, uh, which is fascinating. So, yeah, this is really, really exciting to see him get pushed like this. It, it might not be as exciting just because we know – what he was coming into the year, and he's only affirmed all of our thoughts instead of really surprising us in that way. But it is important to keep in this context of uh, where he would be compared to his peers and how far ahead he is compared to so many other teenagers.
1: It is pretty amazing stuff, and uh, it's a really exciting time to be a Tampa Bay Rays fan. That Charlotte team is pretty uh loaded um I think not just at the top half of the lineup which you kind of look at with Charlotte but one through nine and uh, the pitching staff has some interesting guys that team is sneaky good and it's always when a Florida State League team has one of those rosters it's a little different because they're not kind of the traditional minor league affiliates but if you're around that area or if you're a Rays fan and you can find your way to Charlotte or uh, an FSL town that they're coming through that is a really really fun roster right now
2: yeah, no, for sure. Bruhan and Franco uh, at the yeah, top of the lineup. Yeah, and as a double play partnership is going to be fascinating. I remember a friend went to a – I think it was a Charlotte game last year, and they texted me and, and said, like, who should I watch in this game? I'm like, well, Vidal Bruhan is going to be one of the best players you're going to see. And I think he had a triple in that game, and they immediately texted me back saying, like, it he breezed into third base. It was absolutely incredible. Putting those two at the top of the lineup, you could put one – at the top and one at number two you could flip them you, there's so many options there uh and then Ronaldo hernandez who is having admittedly a little bit of a down year but when he's at his best provides thump in that three hole um is really really cool and to see that the race system which is obviously deep but to have a lot of that talent concentrated on this one roster must be really cool so if you're if you're around that area do, do go check out the stone crabs whenever you get the chance
1: Strike two this week, the Baltimore Orioles selected Oregon State catcher Adley Rutschman with the top overall selection in the Major League Baseball first-year player draft a couple of weeks ago, uh, and we now know what their plan is for him. He signed for a record $8.1 million bonus, according to MLB.com's Jim Callis, which beat out the $8 million uh, that Garrett Cole got from the Pittsburgh Pirates back in 2011. Uh, This is a, a guy who the Orioles are probably as excited about as they have been with any prospect especially on the position player sides, since, I don't know, Matt Wieters. I mean, Manny Machado. This is a guy who comes with a ton of promise, and the O's – According to uh, their brass, we'll send him to the Gulf Coast League and to Class A short season Aberdeen this year. Uh, Michael Elias, the Orioles general manager, said that in an introductory press conference on Tuesday. Sam, your reaction to this, it's not uh, wholly unsurprising. Is there a chance that if Adley Rushman goes out there and just blows up through these first couple of levels, we could see him at Delmarva or at Frederick or somewhere else? Or do you think this is a plan to stick to for this first season and then move him along starting in 2020?
2: I mean, I think this is this is the plan, essentially. Um, you know, just to get him in Aberdeen. I don't think that by the time he gets to Aberdeen,, uh, that there will be enough time for them to say, like, Oh, you know he's hitting four fifty uh, over fifty games. We really need to get him up. Um I think that they just want him kind of in, in a controlled environment, Don't want to push him too much so far or so quickly. Um, I was kind of surprised that they said Aberdeen, I, I'm It didn't sound like there was much wiggle room in there. I'm even surprised he's going to the GCL. I understand it. One thing Michael Elias said was, uh, you know, we want to give him time to get back into the swing of things. We want him to go off and get whatever awards he's going to go to and go enjoy that part of the college experience still. Um, You know, take up as much of the limelight that he has so rightfully earned, obviously, Um, and then go – to sarasota get in some reps just get back into the swing of things of baseball and then get the experience of playing in a stadium um, one great thing about that oriole system i i don't know if we've said this before i think we have in some interviews with baltimore prospects. is the Orioles system is basically centered around baltimore um, Aberdeen is yeah. right there. Marva's right there. Frederick's right there. Bowie's right there. Norfolk's right there. Like, it, you're going to get a taste of what it's like to be in Orioles' country very quickly. Um, so the idea of ha- having to move him around that much, I don't think that's going to really make a difference. I don't know that the difference between Aberdeen and Del Marva might just be slight enough that uh, it might not make a di- that much of a difference. They'd much rather have him just get some. I don't know, some repetition at one place and not harry him too much this quickly. Um, one thing I will say, though, that I thought was really interesting was Elias said he's not going to be an everyday catcher this summer, um, which, uh, you know, catching is a demanding position, and Rushman obviously got a full spring as a catcher for Oregon State. Um, but it sounds like he's going to do maybe half and half. He's going to half DH and half catch. Uh one of the reasons for that is the Orioles are so high on him as a catcher that they don't think he needs a development time there except for maybe getting to work with different pitchers. Um, but they much more they much rather see him get at bats against tougher pitching than he saw in college than necessarily trying to work on his game behind the plate. Catching is a taxing position. It's really tough. Uh, you don't want somebody catching more p- games than they necessarily need to. Rest those legs uh you know let him work on his at-bats let him focus on that um but that's something we're gonna have to keep a close eye on once he does debut in the GCL and probably pretty swiftly moves up to the New York Penn League
1: so get pumped O's fans as uh, Adley Rutschman is on the way here in his debut professional season and strike three this week A all-star game rosters have arrived for the Pacific Coast League and the International League the two uh circuits will square off in El Paso, a Southwest University Park on July 10th and uh, some really interesting names on either side on the Pacific Coast League side some position players that nobody wants to face, Keston Hura, the Milwaukee Brewers organization, Luis Arias of the San Diego Padres, Kyle Tucker of the Houston Astros those are just three of the biggest names their ranked prospects and, and top talents all over that uh, PCL roster. The International League side, not a whole lot different. Mitch Keller leads the way there. The Pittsburgh Pirates right-handed pitching prospect who's made his Major League debut this season. Baltimore Orioles infielder Ryan Mountcastle is one of them as well. Uh, what are the the biggest things you take away from these rosters this year, Sam?
2: Yeah, you mentioned all the really big names and some of the other ones that got out of there. Will Smith uh, for the PCL coming back from – the uh, from the Los Angeles Dodgers just in time to be added to this roster, and almost who's not there? Uh, Jordan Alvarez and Zach Gallen for the PCL don't get named to the initial roster because they're in the major leagues. If you listen to our AAA show, uh, you know that I'm kind of a big proponent of letting guys be named to the roster and then taking them off afterwards if the the opportunity you know presents itself or needs to happen um that didn't happen here that's the league's call that's the way things work but uh yeah i kind of wish zach gallon who was the easily the most dominant uh pitcher in triple a the beginning of the year i would have liked to see his name on here and Jordan Alvarez, one of the most dominant hitters in triple a if not the most right up there with kevin crone who does get named because he came back from the d-backs just in time to make the roster Um, that's interesting to me Uh, but i i want to give a quick shout out in the pcl as well to outfielder Bubba Starling. Um, Bubba Starling, yeah. whose story has been around as long as I've been in, in the Meyer Leagues, which is uh, quite a while now. Um, but, you know, first-round pick in 2011. I think he got DFA'd this offseason. Um, the, the, the Royals let him go. He ends up signing back in December, so it was very quickly, very quick. Um, I, it's the only organization he's ever known the Royals have been high on him for a long time, not necessarily in terms of prospect status anymore, but um, he's always been a really, really good outfielder and good amount of speed, um, just hasn't translated with the bat to the point where, Tyler, you know this well, um, a lot of people think he probably should have been a quarterback. He was going to Nebraska, right?
1: He was. Yes. One of the, uh, the several commits throughout the minor leagues were once, <laughs> once Nebraska quarterback. monte Harrison is the other one who really
2: stands out in the Marlins organization now. Right, so Bubba Starling gets named to the PCL All-Star team, and according to our records, maybe I'm wrong on this, maybe something got lapsed, but this is the first time anywhere he's been named a midseason All-Star, which is absolutely incredible. Good for him for sticking out this long. He's still only 26. For somebody we've been talking about, feels like he's been around forever There are major league rookies this year who are older than he is. Um, But he's hitting 313 with a 797 OPS, Um, again, providing good offense and speed. He's got nine stolen bases in 62 games. Good for him for getting this recognition and getting this honor. Um, The Royals aren't going anywhere fast. I would love to see him get a major league chance at some point. Um, But him getting the chance to go to to, uh, El Paso for this game is pretty cool. Um, You know, again, Luis Urias, you mentioned uh, Kyle Tucker getting the nod as the starting outfielder, um, kind of nipping it there at the end. He had a really, really rough start this year to Round Rock, but has picked things up. I think he's the only uh, – well, anyway, he's – picking up home runs and stolen bases at at a really good rate, um, doing what we always thought he could in in both of those aspects. And that's what keeps him a number 10 overall prospect. Um, This year he's got 23 homers and 18 stolen bases. He's the only PCL player with at least that amount in both categories. Um, So pretty cool to see him turn things on. I would love to see him get a chance in Houston at some point. I know Alvarez kind of beat him to the punch there, but – Tucker either has to be trade bait at this point or a part of Houston's plans because he doesn't have much left to prove at AAA, but he'll get that chance here uh, in the AAA All-Star game July 10th in El Paso.
1: And that's going to wrap up Three Strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show, but we're going to continue on the All-Star note. The Rochester Red Wings, the home of outfielder slash first baseman Brent Rooker in the Minnesota Twins organization, and Brent joins the show coming up next. To an international league all-star we head for segment number two this week on the show before the show and that is where we find minnesota twins prospect brent rooker the seventh ranked prospect in that organization who joins us from AAA rochester where uh i guess you can't really say off to a fantastic start it's just a fantastic season at this point as we're at the midway point in the AAA year uh but through 50 games with rochester so far this season brent welcome to the show man what's going on how are you congrats on the all-star news
0: i'm doing well appreciate it i appreciate you guys having me on
1: thanks for joining us so tell us about this season for you um going to to rochester and being um part of a a system now and an organization that is running away it feels like in the in the american league central with so much talent on the way um with with this twins organization what has the season been like for you it's obviously been a great year for you um but being part of this organization this year what has that felt like
0: Uh, it's been really cool obviously it's um exciting times um you know all up and down our organization we've got kind of talent everywhere obviously the big league team is doing having a phenomenal year and then you look around kind of our triple a double a even single a rosters and there's you know there's even more talent um you know on the way in our minor league system guys who keep developing guys who just kind of keep keep getting better every year so it's, it's a really fun time to be uh, to be a part of this organization
1: when you guys got into this season, could you tell, uh, it, at spring training, you're down in Fort Myers, you're getting set for the year, could you tell that this year felt like it was going to be different? I mean, the Twins, for the last few years, we know the talent that's been coming along, uh, but for all of this to explode at it, it seems like every level in the system, and of course at the Major League level, what did it feel like coming into 2019? Could you tell that this type of stuff was in the offing for throughout the organization?
0: Yeah, definitely, um, even in just my yeah, my few short weeks in and, and big league camp during spring training, you could kind of tell that the vibe around those guys was really good. The talent was there. And I know you don't put too much stock in, you know, spring training games and things like that. But, I mean, we won a lot of games um, during spring training. Players that we have, um, obviously, in the big league roster, and then the guys that fill in from AAA and AA and things like that all played really well, um, you know, when they got their opportunities. So, Spring training kind of set the tone um, for us as a whole as an organization, it was just kind of the, the way that the year was going to go. And it was um, a really fun experience to be a part of, and uh, yeah, we look forward to kind of keep building on it going forward. All
2: right. Well, I kind of want to snap back to today here. One of the reasons I wanted to bring you on the show is not only are you and IL an all-star now, but your June has been fascinating to watch from afar. Um, one of the things that stood, stood out to me is just your splits. Um, I, I know in May you were coming off a wrist injury and you were, you had some mile time there, but here in June, you have walked 26 times in 26 games. You've got a OBP of 5.22, So you're reaching in more than half of your plate appearances and you're mixing that in with some good other numbers. You got six homers in 26 games, but how do you kind of explain the, this last stretch? What, what is kind of, happened and what have you done to adjust uh to the triple a level to take off in the way you have
0: yeah i mean first of all it was just kind of getting healthy um obviously i had the wrist thing at the end of may that put me on the dl or the IL, excuse me for about two weeks and even before that i had some nagging stuff going on that i never really felt you know fully healthy fully comfortable um even when i was playing um so those the, the two weeks on the IL with the wrist thing kind of gave me time to i think reset get my body fully healthy um, and ready to go. And then during that time, we also we just kind of looked at some things that you know I was struggling with early in the year, and kind of addressed some issues and made some adjustments, both you know approach-wise and and swing-wise as well. And um, you know those those things we worked on um, during those the two weeks I was out, which honestly was a lot of mental stuff, a lot of approach stuff, um, and seemed to pay a lot of dividends in June, like you talked about. So I'm just kind of looking to keep building on those adjustments and you know, keep improving moving forward.
2: Yeah, and it, it's interesting you mentioned swing adjustments. You're somebody whose bat has always carried him, you know, through your time at Mississippi State and into the draft and here now in the pros. Um, what did you see in your swing that needed adjusting and has allowed you to unlock uh, these last couple weeks?
0: Um, you know, honestly, obviously I was hurt, so I couldn't do a lot of actual swing. So we kind of just looked a lot of, you know, at the which pitches I was swinging at. You know where where the balls I was hitting, you know my bat my batted ball profile, where they were going. and we kind of looked at that and 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 made some you know, just kind of put that information um, and kind of were able to come up with a solution to what we think would would solve a lot of what was going on, a lot of the things I was struggling with. So it wasn't really much as it wasn't as much physical swing things as it was approach things. It was things you know what I was trying to do at the plate you know, where my energy was going, where I was looking to drive the ball. And we kind of address some of that mentally, like I talked about, and from an approach standpoint. And I think that's those have been the things that have kind of, you know, helped me out the most.
2: Yeah, and when you talk about mental approach, too, um, you know, give me an example of, of something like that. When is there a certain pitch you are looking at now and thinking, like, okay, I should be driving that the other way, or I should be spitting on it and not even trying to swing at it? Um, you know, how – how has your thought process changed at the plate now from where it is now and then where it was in opening day back in April?
0: Yeah, um, I think the biggest thing is I'm just trying to look to do more damage towards the middle of the field and kind of stay or avoid being so full heavy. You kind of look at some of, the, some of the charts and some of the graphs of the best hitters in the big leagues and a lot of it. You know, the middle – pitches right down the middle, they do a lot of damage to center field. They're not necessarily pulling those pitches. Um, which is kind of eye-opening for me. and something that I've been trying to work on, is kind of let the, the pull-side power come naturally and not really try to force that, but try to just kind of stay through the middle more. And, you know, still looking to drive balls, hit doubles, hit home runs, but kind of focusing my energy and, and where I'm looking to do that more towards the middle of the field rather than being so pull-heavy.
2: And, and one of the things we wanted to bring up with you as well is not just your offense, but your defense. This year, the the red wings and the twins by extension have moved you exclusively to left field uh, in times past you switched to, switched off between left field and first base uh it seems like they're not letting you play first base right now is that still something they're having you work on or is that something you've abandoned completely and what does that do to change your game or thought process or day-to-day when you are just focusing on one position
0: um, no, I don't think I've. I don't think I've completely abandoned that. I think that's still there. Um, I still have the ability to do that if we need me to, or if, you know, if that helps my my career going forward. But right now, my focus has been in the outfield, and I think just kind of staying in one position, um, being able to put all my energy, all my effort into that one position, has really helped me improve out there. Um, I think. I mean, I'm feeling feeling more comfortable doing doing a lot of early work, you know, with coordinators and stuff, trying to get as good as I can in left field, and I think it's 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 helped a ton.
1: Brent, when you look back on the last few years, um, going to the Twins in 2016 first uh, in the 38th round, and then in 2017, you jump up to the the competitive balance round. Um, for an organization to have kind of centered in on you, and obviously have uh, really liked your game and followed along with you, and you know to jump up 35 rounds basically, and to still have that organization be the one that wants to lock you in, what did that mean in terms of your relationship with the Twins and how that evolved early on? Kind of having a, a little bit of a tie to them and then knowing a year later all right this is a team that still really really wants me
0: yeah that was really cool um it was it was it was nice because there's definitely a comfort level there you know already having developed um relationships with a lot of the guys involved in the draft, the draft process from the year before having had conversations and having talks with them um prior made the, the transition really easy and obviously put me at ease and I was very comfortable with the organization as a whole and you know, I've had nothing but fantastic experiences in my two years here so um you know obviously super grateful that the twins were they were still there to get me the second year because it's been it's been a great relationship so far this
1: uh this season being you know moving around like you talked about defensively and all that one of the things that i noticed from an offensive Uh, standpoint throughout your splits is early on in counts you've done really really good work first pitch of at bats you're batting 556 with a 1475 OPS second pitch on an one count 429 1143 the OPS and 1-0 400 1300 take me through the the approach that you have as a hitter knowing that early on in counts if you get something you're going to go for we're in such an era now where I think guys are one of two ways you're either a little bit overwhelmed by thinking about the the data and all the the things the various scenarios that can go on throughout an at-bat or you kind of have your plan and you know what you're looking for when you're early on in an at-bat what's your mindset like
0: yeah um, I've always been an aggressive hitter um even growing up through high school and college I was always aggressive so I get in the box looking to swing now if the first pitch is, is the pitch that think I can handle and do something with and you know I'm going to be aggressive to that pitch um and that really hasn't changed at all. Obviously, there's a there's a very fine line between being aggressive and, and swinging too much. But for me, if you know if a pitch shows up um, in the zone and it's a spot that I think I can, you know, drive the ball in, then I'm I'm not going to be afraid to swing the first couple pitches in the bat. All
2: right, Brian. We know you're at Triple A now, and again, this first half has gone so well for you. Uh, Triple A is not a a level you had experienced before this season, but one of the big stories in Triple A this year is going to the major league ball. Um, It's it's helped offense across the board. What is it like playing with that ball as a hitter, as a fielder, as somebody getting used to this situation? You know, you know it's the ball you're going to be using at the next level, so there's some help there. But um, what has it been like to kind of be in Triple A this year specifically with all that's going on there?
0: Yeah, obviously the the league has been and Triple A as a whole has been a lot more offensive than it has been in the past. Um, I think that there's are benefits to using the ball, and then obviously it definitely changes the game a little bit. Um, the both the power game obviously increases, but then you yeah, have outfielders playing deeper because the ball goes further, so there's honestly more singles to be had um, in front of outfielders. So it's definitely it's changed a lot, but I think I mean. My opinion should be that I mean professional baseball should universally use the same ball. So I think if we're going to go to it in Triple A, we should probably go to it in the lower levels as well.
2: Yeah, no, that's an interesting point about the singles. I hadn't really considered that. Yeah, mm-hmm. as an infielder or as an outfielder, that's something you would be keenly aware of. Right. Um, but what, now that you are at this level, um, one of the reasons they brought the ball to it is it's one step away, and they want pitchers getting used to it and all that kind of stuff. But being one stop away. What was your welcome to Triple A moment? What was the moment where you felt like, oh, this really is this close to the major leagues?
0: That's a good question. Um, you you kind of get here, and within the first two weeks, you realize how many moves are made back and forth. You know, specifically with bullpen arms and with pitchers. And that's something you don't see um, at the lower levels, even at Double A. You don't really see the, the shuffling back and forth. You know, the, the taking advantage of guys who have options and kind of. Keeping your bullpen fresh, um, with with you know that ability and the, the roster depth. So once you're here and the first couple moves get made within the first two or three weeks of being here, you kind of realize you know that this there's there's a ton of depth in the forty men roster and the guys are honestly just one call away. And that's what it kind of sinks then.
1: Brent, the, uh, the 2019 season being named an all-star at the, the international league side, um, you're going to a place where, uh, hopefully by all of our projections, it'll end like 31, 28 when you go to El Paso. Cause that's how it goes down there. <laughs> but to, to be an all-star and get that recognition, uh, what does that mean to you this year with the way, especially through April and May with the injury and all that stuff. And now the way you've taken off in June to get this recognition, when you got that news, what was your reaction? I
0: was super excited, obviously. Um, to be a part of that game is going to be—it's going to be a lot of fun. It's a huge honor. Um, I think it, it was kind of reassuring for me to know that the, the work I've been putting in and the adjustments I've made are paying off. Obviously, with how the year started, started slow, and I was able to come on a little bit later. So, yeah, you know, that was the biggest thing for me. It was just kind of like a reassurance—like I'm on the I'm on the right I'm on the right path. Um, my process is working. To just kind of continue what I'm doing right now and continue looking to get better, and you know, good things will come.
2: Yeah, and and uh, as somebody like Tyler said, getting to play in El Paso, that's not a park you get to play in. Is that something you're looking forward to? Is that something you've even thought about doing? Like the chance to hit it into that, thin, I don't think it's thin air, but just hit in that park for the first time?
0: Yeah, it'll be fun. Um, being in the International League, you obviously hear the, the PCL stories about how the ball flies and stuff like that. So I'm looking forward to getting that experience a little bit, and it's always fun to play a new ballpark, so it'll be a great time.
2: All right, Brent, we've got two last ones to end on. Uh, as somebody, you know, as we all kind of jointly run the MILB Twitter account, we, we get to keep an eye on things and see what people are putting out there. And you have one of our favorite Twitter accounts, i got to say, in terms of being opinionated yeah, and sharing
0: Jeffrey it. That,
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. In, in all the right ways, like in all the very fun ways. You use the platform in a great way. You're For anybody who's following at home, uh, Brent's – Twitter handle is Brent underscore Rooker 19. Um, But one of the things that caught my eye is the other day, Netflix announced that The Office is not coming back after 2021 or something like that. Um, So I wanted to ask you, for people who don't know you on a personal level, what Office character would you say you most resemble? Physically. Or like personality. I'll, I'll we'll say personality-wise. <laughs> I think people can look at a picture of you and try to determine on their own. But phys- uh, personality-wise, who are you?
0: Um, that's a really good question. It's kind of tough. My favorite. My, I'll give you my favorite character in the entire show, and the guy who that I would most strive to be like personality-wise is Robert California. His sense <laughs> of humor kills me. I think he's got the the really like dry, witty kind of intellectual sense of humor that i don't know if i have it but that's what i strive to have so i'll 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 go with that just to kind of make myself feel good i was gonna say yeah prove
1: me right losers prove me wrong
0: yeah exactly (laughs) i think i think he gives he's very underrated as a as a character i don't think people appreciate appreciate him enough all right
2: fair enough so we'll end on this one then um because you also when, during the time it was on the air, we a prolific Game of Thrones tweeter. Um, at yeah. one point, you called out Cole Stewart for live tweeting like season two or something like that. When yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh.
0: Else, which was fantastic. <laughs>
2: um, two completely different shows. But if you were to get the chance to live in the world of Game of Thrones or the world of The Office, knowing that you would have a sense of humor, it would be basically a comedy at all times, which would you rather live in?
0: Uh, I'll go to Westeros for sure.
1: Wow. Okay. I mean, okay.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll go to Westeros. We'll get to experience that. I mean, I, I, we play in the not north. I've been to Scranton like three times. now. So <laughs> it's not, it's not too far off from what from what we experience regularly. Um, but yeah, I think I'll take the experience, go to Westeros, and kind of see that whole deal. That's I will right. say, I'm, Brent is
2: a much better athlete than the rest of us so your chances of survival would yeah,
1: probably be point. better that's
2: <laughs> a good point
1: i feel like a minor league clubhouse has probably got a ton of similarities to to a dunder mifflin atmosphere anyway
0: yeah it's it's shockingly similar there's a lot of, there's a, lot of the, a lot of the same things going on a lot of pranks and things like that so it's not too far off of what we actually live
1: well, as Sam noted, Brent Rooker is on Twitter at Brent underscore Rooker 19 and uh, the Mississippi State product and International League All-Star is off to El Paso for the 2019 A All-Star game. And Brent, congratulations on all the success, man, and uh, keep rolling. Best of luck. Um, make sure before I saw you tweeted, uh, Netflix is not going to lose the office until 2021 and you said you can quote every episode line for line by now. Make sure that's all nailed down over the next year and a half because eventually, you're going to be on some road trip and somebody's going to be like "Uh, i want to watch the one with the michael falling in the koi pond and i can't and now i need brent to to recite it for us
0: yeah i'll be be there for sure
1: (laughs) thanks brent good luck man thanks we appreciate the time
0: appreciate you guys thanks for having me on
1: Ordinarily, in segment number three of uh, our weekly little minor league baseball podcast, we talk with Benjamin Hill about what's going on around the business side of the game. But uh, this week, we have a a passionate guest and uh, a friend to you and me, Josh Jackson who we discussed earlier on in this show as uh, the unwitting 3,000-mile-away bystander as Sam and his wife happen to run into each other in a park in New York City, which is weird enough. Um, but we're going to go even weirder here, which is we're going to go into an in-depth breakdown of a controversy over a dessert snack cake and teams that are each claiming it. And you two New Englanders take this thing away. What's going on with this whoop- whoopie pies movement, Josh? Hello.
3: Hello, hello. Um, well, what's going on? So there's a, there's kind of a long history of of um, controversy between about whoopie pie origins uh josh sent us an email that
1: was more like a treatise it was like he had filed his graduate thesis on this in which he cites a new york times piece from 2011 (laughs) and then press releases and then talks about the origins in pennsylvania's german community with the whoopie pie there's so much in this i had no idea
3: yeah so uh, there are other states even beyond pennsylvania and maine who who claim the whoopie pie came from there but um before for those into who don't those know things, what is a whoopie pie exactly let's yeah let's let's back it up a okay, little bit <laughs>
0: um,
3: so a whoopie pie um <laughs> my friend is <laughs> a a tasty treat uh made of chocolate so you know, some people say cookies. It's more like a, it's more like a cake. It's not a pie. It's not a cookie. It's like two pieces of of like moist, chocolatey cake um, that are cookie shaped, and between them you've got like a thick layer of uh, of a cream frosting. It's essentially um, a bigger Oreo, a bigger well, softer Oreo, but
1: less less cookie, yeah, and more cakey. But,
2: Right. Well, no, for sure, but right. that's what I'm saying. That's the softer. It's like okay. a bigger, softer.
3: The, the visual of an Oreo. So is, far, uh, it, both yeah. right. moist but and thick rounded. We're on to
2: the top description
1: top. of this, and so we're really things are. Uh, it's,
3: continue, please. <laughs> I'll, wa- I'll watch myself. I'll watch myself. <laughs> the. So what? What does this have to do with minor league baseball? Is probably the uh, next logical question. What does the whoopie pie have to do with minor league baseball? Um, so we started by mentioning that. You know, some some states, some people from some states feel really passionately that the whoopie pie belongs to them. Um, now, let's go back to to 2017, the the golden days of um, of your youth, Tyler. Um, Man, I wish. And <laughs> and uh, that February, the Redding fight in fills announced that they would rebrand as um, the Redding Whoopies. uh, in for select
1: games, continuing the food
3: trend. Right, 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 right. So I should have specified temporary (laughs) rebrand. This is not not an entire overhaul. Um, You know, from the – so I I think – I'll just speak for myself. For myself, you know, uh, uh, who grew up in Maine and – um, grew up sort of with the understanding that a whoopie pie was a main thing. Um, that was kind of weird. It was kind of weird that um, you know, if any, if, if I were to guess, if any minor league team were to become the whoopie pies or the whoopies, I would say it would be the Portland Sea Dogs. Well, my friends, um, <laughs> this week, actually last Saturday, the Portland Sea Dogs did become. Uh, in fact, the main whoopie pies, um, and so I, I wrote a story about this, which is why I'm here on this podcast <laughs> talking about it. Uh, probably, you can find. Probably, people will be able to find like a link to that in the in like the story of the like the the this podcast page maybe. It'll
2: be on the, it, it's still on the website. Just search okay. main whoopie pies and people will find the. If you search Josh that,
1: yeah. Jackson whoopie pies, it's thankfully the only thing that comes up.
2: Yeah. It's, it's one of the top five.
1: Yeah. I top, mean, it's,
3: I would say. It's the top thing out of, of
1: 80,600 results. And I don't want to know why right. exactly, but yeah.
3: Right. Um, well, I could tell you why, but that's a whole other segment. <laughs> um, so in, in, in talking to the sea dogs about this, um, assistant GM, uh, Dennis Meehan told me that when Reading rebranded like that, he, he was pushing What Here's here. I'll, I'll read you his quote. I was pushing that we shouldn't let them do that. I was saying we should have this and show Pennsylvania who the real whoopie pies are. So he was, he was kind of cheesed off too. Um, and thought that, uh, you know, the that his team the sea dogs should come out and say wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute the redding whoopies uh whoopie pies are from maine um so in the in the the long email that Tyler had alluded to i was kind of pointing out that uh there's some there's some legitimacy i think to to any kind of claims about um origins of like what has become a folk treat in in various places, and what's really interesting to me is that, you know, you grow up thinking about it as your thing, and when somebody else um says, "Hey, this belongs to us," um, you there's like a there's like a, a strong gut reaction where you're like, "Wait, no way, buddy!" Even if you know that, yeah. <laughs> even if they have plenty of logical you reasons, to be the same exact way that you do.
1: That's how you all say it. That was awful. <laughs> That's...
2: That was just awful. <laughs> Not gonna happen. No. <laughs> stop it. Josh, continue. Tyler, stop it.
3: Uh so yeah, Maine um the the, the Portland Whoopie uh did get into the act this year and Reading has kind of moved on to become uh the I believe the Reading pretzel this year. That's sort of their their alt food thing that they're pushing this year so they had kind of you know not been interested in in playing up a battle of, of whoopie pie and whoopie pie supremacy um but nonetheless the sea dogs still felt and, and obviously rightly so based on like the attendance and the excitement they they got around this this rebrand. um that's People are passionate enough about whoopie pies in Maine that it doesn't really matter if they're if they're holding this as like a as like a Maine versus Pennsylvania kind of thing. Um, and I think that's a good reason. I, I mentioned you know that that it's something you grow up in Maine sort of understanding like oh this is this is one of our special uh, treats. This is a special dessert we have here um and when people come here they they learn about this and they think oh there there's a maine thing um now what might
0: <laughs>
3: uh, <laughs> sorry i i uh tyler, if you were to associate a food with maine you a colorado a coloradoian um <laughs> what what might you guess? You know, uh, uh, a minor league baseball team in Maine might rebrand that. I mean,
1: I will. I will admit something lobster related.
3: Right. You would. You would. Right. I think. I think most people would go to the lobster first. Um, Can I give my answer, Connecticut? Yeah, go go for it, Sam.
2: See, mine would. So I don't know if you ever Sam went to this, Josh. Yeah, as Massachusetts. The, right. As, we should say. Yeah. Um, Another New Englander. Yeah, as you can tell by my accent, which is flawless and not at all what Tyler does. Uh, So we used to go to – Massachusetts doesn't have a state fair, but we have the Big E, which is kind of like all six states of New England all contribute to the Big E, and it was about half an hour from my house. So there were each of these houses. They were all called the state houses, and they were all in one row. And Maine used to have the longest line for its food, not for lobster, but for the baked potato. The main baked mm. potato is the stuff of legend. And that's what I thought they were going to go with. Um, or makes as that you mentioned,
0: so good?
2: I don't I think just Maine is really good at producing potatoes. I don't know if it's the Irish population or just the climate or what.
1: Oh God, I can't um, wait for the Boise Hawks to file their grievance. I know.
2: Now. Yeah. But that but I'm not saying they invented well. the baked potato, but they Maine is really known for making a great baked potato. So that's that's where I thought I was going to go with. But Josh, okay.
3: both of yeah, both of those are, are famous Maine foods and Maine produces an awful lot of them. Um, the other the other sort of, uh, you know, big thing is blueberries. Maine grows a lot of blueberries. Yeah, I have um, you've that. got your, your lobster. And yeah, Sam, it's true that not a lot of people outside of New England know about it because, I, you know, I'm, I'm going back to like what, what you learned in fourth grade here. Uh, so my, maybe a little cobwebs there, but, uh, I believe, yeah, Idaho, like vastly outproduces everybody with potatoes and then second quite further, you know, a, a distant second is Maine. And that's, um, that's really in a County that, which we call in Maine, we call it the County. Um, it's, it's the, uh, huge swath of the Northern part of the state. And yeah, it's just the, the land there is, Kind of perfect for growing potatoes. Um, so, this is a quote that's not in the story, but um, in talking with Dennis Meehan about about why Whoopie Pies was the was the natural rebrand um, beyond the sort of you know after the kind of Reading rivalry question in a way, he he um, he pointed out that you know Portland is the only minor league baseball team in Maine. And so it naturally represents, um, the big state, the, the state, and it is, it's not a big state compared to the way states are laid out on the West coast, but it you could fit every other new England state inside of it. Um, you can leave in your car from Portland and drive North and have your, you know, sibling drive south, leaving from the same place and your, your sibling will hit New York city before you'll hit the Canadian border. Um, So it's a it's a big state with like a lot of different regions within it. And the whoopie pie, they felt like was really the thing that um, that united the state. He said, you know, referring to potatoes. That's really northern Maine. We embrace it all over, but it's not like you can see potatoes growing in South Portland, which, you know, that's true. He, He also said with blueberries, you see small patches growing here and there. But if you're not in Machias, which is like the down east region and, and a huge um, blueberry growing region, um, you know basically you're not really blueberry growing culture is not huge elsewhere. Um, and he said if we if we rebranded it as the Portland Headlights, which is a famous uh, lighthouse, well there's only one there's only one Portland Headlight, um, and so Whoopie pies was a thing that sort of as an entire state. No matter where you go, that's kind of a part of your of your food experience, and probably somebody in your family makes one and makes them, and, and is like um, known within the family for making them best. Uh, and if not your family, then your next door neighbor. Um, so it, it it is kind of like when he told me that it it did ring a bell for me, and kind of it, it made me say like, oh yeah, wobbie pie maybe is the quintessential main food because. Um, Obviously, it's not the thing they're most famous for. I, I think lobster on a national level and probably international level is is the thing that people think of when they think of Maine. But in Maine, no matter where you go, people love their whoopie
0: pie.
2: Yeah, that's one of the things that I just find fascinating about this too, and we'll kind of end on this note, um, is the idea, you brought this up before, you know, Redding is going to lay claim to it. Uh, or laid claim to it initially and that upset the Portland folks and I'm sure there are other folks across the country like hey we also have our version of whoopie pie it's one of those snacks that just uh, many people could have come up with this idea it's not groundbreaking that um, you decided to take two chocolate cakes and fill it with cream in the middle Um, (laughs) but the fact that it you know, elicits such strong opinions in the state of Maine, and that they're willing to defend it this way. And can't it, wait for the hate is...
1: mail to arrive on that one. I know, it's right? Not a real novel idea. Dear Mr. Dykstra, <laughs> <laughs>
2: hey, listen, I would say the Oreo. You invented. Yeah, <laughs> I say the Oreo, but the Oreo wasn't even like the first Oreo. Like there was something before the Oreo right. that was similar to that. So. I don't know. It's yeah, it's great, and I'm glad it can pull in a region. It obviously did really well, and I hope there's many Whoopie Pie days to come. It's just, the fact that a dessert like this um, can elicit such strong opinions is hilarious to me.
3: Me too. Yeah, I, and you know, I I, I think it's something um, both minor league baseball teams and uh, regional foods. Are something that makes people feel a strong sense of community, and so when teams do this this food rebrand craze, when they when they partake in that, I think it, it's really tapping into something kind of special and really fun. Um, if you're getting like really upset about it, um, if it's raising your blood pressure to know that um, Reading was <laughs> was the first team to play as the Wuppies, um, you know maybe you should look into. Uh, what else is going on in your life and <laughs> deal with some issues. Um, but it's it's a really fun thing, I think, to get playful and
0: proud about.
1: It is pretty good stuff. Josh's story is up on the site right now at MILB.com from June 25th. You can go read about that one uh, with the Portland version of the Whoopie Pies, and, uh, you know, we'll we'll see what, uh, what future food conflicts uh, sprout their heads throughout the minor leagues. And uh, now, I guess we've already laid the groundwork for one with uh, with some Idaho Falls or Boise or somebody going against whichever uh, squad out of New England decides to claim baked potatoes from Maine. I guess that's the next one.
3: Let's just Didn't, drum up fights. Uh, doesn't
1: Syracuse already have a potato identity? Too? Oh, they did, yeah. That's right. That is right.
3: Um, can I throw in one Tournament, more thing that, it's coming near you. <laughs> can I throw in one more thing that, that I thought was kind of funny? Um so since you've especially since you've already mentioned my wife being in New York, um, so the day that this story ran, you know, I just was was we were both going about our business, and uh, she's you know there on business and stuff, so we weren't uh, talking a ton. But in the middle of my workday, I got uh, a text from her referring to the, the Whoopie Pie eating contest that the Sea Dogs did during the game. Um, So she had, you know, found the story and read it and texted me 12 mini whoopie pies in five minutes. I could do that easy. (laughs) (laughs) You can find our Josh Jackson
1: on Twitter at Josh Jackson, M-I-L-B. And uh, again, you can find a story up on the site right now. And uh, thanks, buddy. We need more of this, uh, this type of conflict related content. So we'll be sure to tap you for more of these as the season goes along.
3: Okay. Well, you know where to find me.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Josh. Thank you, guys. Big thanks to Brent Rooker and Josh Jackson uh, for joining the show this week. MILB-TV, your place to catch all the best and brightest of minor league baseball. Short season leagues underway right now. Sam, what are you watching this weekend?
2: Yeah, so anybody who listened last week and heard me uh, suggest watching Davey Garcia, you're welcome. The guy helped pitch (laughs) a no-hitter for Trenton on Monday, uh, which is really neat to see and I'll throw that out there. Keep trying to watch Davey Garcia as much as you can. He's been really exciting to watch. But the ones I'm going to specifically recommend, um, Gavin Lux at the Texas League All-Star Game this week. In a really cool moment, Tulsa Drillers shared it, found out that he was moving up to A Oklahoma City. His manager told him, hey, I have to take you out of the game. Why? You're going to AAA. Um, so he will be debuting with the A Oklahoma City Dodgers this week. Um, by the time you hear this, the t- Team will have one more game at home against New Orleans on Friday, and then they move to Nashville. Watch any of those games. We mentioned before Will Smith is back with the OKC Dodgers after a spell in the major leagues. Gavin Lux now joins that roster. He was top five in all three slash line categories in, in the Texas League. This was a promotion that was wholly deserved. Now he takes that really special bat, one step closer to the majors, one step away from the majors. Uh, gonna be really excited to see what he can do. Now these challenge against better pitching, but also, you know, in the PCL playing with that triple A ball. Uh, what numbers can he put up? That starts this weekend, so make sure you're watching the OKC Dodgers whenever you get the chance. Tyler, what do you got your eye on? This one's kind of a, a
1: low-hanging fruit pick, but uh, Bo Bichette, since returning for the Buffalo Bisons in the Triple A International League, has been ridiculous. We're recording this on Thursday, the 27th. He's got multiple hits in five out of his last six games. Uh, had a four-hit day for the first time at Triple A on June 23rd. Over that span, over those six games, he's boosted his slash line from 227, 289, 387 to 306, 367, 500 missed a lot of time obviously with the hand injury uh, but since he has returned he's been fantastic for buffalo and the bisons are at home this weekend hosting the lehigh valley iron pigs who depending on who you listen to you can blame or credit with starting the food craze across minor league baseball and uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show big thanks to brent and to josh and for sam dykstra i'm tyler mom we'll talk to you next week